This man's achievements are far too many. We can't afford to keep printing these. When you go to the Royal Albert Hall, it's really, really special. You didn't just do that, did you? Sold out in 10 days. I don't getting goosebumps. My phone rang on the golf course. Hi, Spoonie. It's Vicky. My heart sank. Who is this? The number was withheld. I was thinking, oh no. And he said, oh, it's Victoria. Beckham. And I was like, Phew. I just practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. You know, 2019, my you know, dream came true. I got asked the question the other day, what's the meaning of life? And I don't know what the meaning of life is, but what I do know is Jonathan Joseph, AKA DJ Spoonie, one of the finest men in the world. Welcome to um, Blighty Talks Bricks um, and just a little introduction today of um, my guest. Um, I think it'd be fair to say that I'm excited. You've probably not seen it on my face, but trust me, I am. I think it's also fair to say I'm very nervous. Um, and I'm not nervous because this is the first podcast. Uh, I'm nervous because of my guest. And the reason I say that is... Uh, from a background of love. Um, I looked up this man. I don't really need to look this man up because I know quite a lot about him, but I looked up this man and I'm just going to rustle my piece of paper. Um, I use these, my little um, Blighty's Bricks cards to put stuff down, but this man's achievements are far too many. We can't afford to keep printing <laughs> these. So we've gone with the double-sided. Um, he's a British DJ, uh, radio and telev television presenter. Um, the achievements, Radio 1 DJ, Radio 2 DJ. Um, he's had his own um, 5 Live, he used to have a 606 show, that he's 5 Live on 606, brilliant show. Um, he's been an a interviewer, interviewed the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, David Beckham, Jose Mourinho. Um Strictly Come Dancing, um, The Weakest Link, Mastermind. You can see why these wouldn't be enough to get on here. But more importantly than any of that, and I really mean this, he isn't compassionate to the nth degree. He's spirit is spiritual for sure. Um, he's a super cool guy. And he's just one lovely human being. And therefore, I have great pleasure to introduce, to introduce you to my guest. You can tell I'm nervous because I'm not normally like this. Jonathan, Jonathan Joseph, a.k.a. DJ Spoonie. JJ, welcome. Thank you, Bly. That's, uh, that's a very humbling intro. I could feel myself getting a little bit... Um, yeah, I had a phone call on the way here with a very dear friend of mine, and um, I'm like, I'm already in that zone, and hearing um, hearing that love, um, yeah, it's very humbling. I almost feel not worthy, but thank you very much. I really appreciate it, Steve. JJ, it's absolutely. I mean, people don't know, but um, JJ and I come from different eras, as you can tell. He's substantially better looking and younger <laughs> than me, but um, we're from the same council estate. 
Um, I think we might have had uh, some the Fires Road Dividers, yeah. the Mayville Estate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's also another thing that um, just shocks me about you, what you've achieved, because you and I both know that was a tough upbringing. Yeah, you, you know what? I, Steve, when I look back, I, I only have fondness about where I lived. We, we didn't have much, you know, it was my mum... Uh, my three younger brothers, we lived in a three-bedroom masonette um, in in Stonia and right on the borders of of Hackney and Islington. But I, like I said, I look back with like only great memories and great fondness, not with any real pain, any real suffering. But I don't know if that's because actually you just got used to the pain and the suffering and then it didn't feel like pain and suffering anymore. Yeah. But I, I don't remember life being, you know, oh God, in in that kind of way. But you know, we 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 I, I I'm very much aware that um, yeah, it wasn't easy. Looking back, it didn't no. feel it at the time, but looking back, it was like, wow, you you you've done a lot. And I think I think what it did, it promoted um, it promoted love because we didn't have anything, we shared things. Um, but for you to go on and do what you've done is amazing. So my first question is, I mean, I loved music. How did you get into music? Well, it's like, it's kind of, it was it was like the weirdest thing in the sense of, I was happy, you know, playing my football. I played football to quite a decent level, was like quite popular at school, popular on the state. I had like great friendship groups. And at one of the local youth clubs, um, a dear friend of mine, I always name check him, um, Steve Howard. He was DJing at the Mayville estate, you know, and um, I was watching him on this, you know, pair set of decks and he would, he was playing one record, then he was going to another record and I knew both the records, but I didn't hear the gap. There was, I was like, right, so what's happening in the middle? And I was just fascinated. At that stage, I already had a passion for for music and, you know, played a musical instrument at school. But watching him do that, and I said to him, I, I, I want to learn how to do that. Can you show me how to do that? And he said, all right, no problem. I'll come over to your house. So, I mean, this was on the Friday at the youth club. On the Tuesday, I remember it clearly. He came over. Um, I said to my mum, you know, look, Steve's coming over. He's going to show me some DJing. Could we use the kitchen table? Back then, we had... Um, I say back then, everyone had everyone had the same pine table and pine benches in their in yep. their kitchen, and the plastic. We didn't have a door on our kitchen. We had the uh, the plastic strips it going down. In it. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, them. Mickey Flanagan talks about them actually because <laughs> everybody had them. But um, she said, you know, you have to make sure you clean the kitchen. Anyway, he came over. Kitchen was clean. Set the decks up, and he showed me what to do, and I got it straight away. And he looked at me like. Mm, that was a little bit was that a fluke did you actually do that then he showed me again and I did it again and she said no right he took the records off he said right I'm going to put two new records on there because I can't believe that you just did that did it again so he said well there's not really much more that I can can teach you and then I just practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and outside of you know doing my schoolwork and doing the stuff that I had to do around the house I was just in my room on my decks um you know it went from there to doing local parties for everybody and then got on a pirate radio station um met timmy and mikey we formed the dream team kiss radio one galaxy 
the rest, as they say, is. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to um, to to have been to a few of your gigs, and um, in in lots of ways, though, you're like a, a historian of music as well, aren't you? I mean, your knowledge, your knowledge. <laughs> I mean, your knowledge of so. I mean, if I mention Quincy Jones, yeah, he's the you know arguably the greatest producer that that ever lived, um, and not because he produced one of the greatest albums that was ever made in, in in fact some people regard it as thriller as the greatest album that's ever made but he's a man who has you know outside of all of the awards and the accolades that he's received he is a real student of music he you know left america came to europe to um, study classical music because he wanted to understand how to write film score so he came to paris and spent some time with a very highly respected um, uh, musician. Um, and then he's subsequently gone on and wrote numerous film scores, um, as well as hit albums like like Thriller. Off the Wall is my personal favourite out of those two Michael Jackson yeah. albums. But, you know, you, we can't turn our nose up at Thriller just on the amount of units um, that it sold. Well, there's a couple of things there. I mean, off the wall, I mean, part of the reason I've got that is because of the thriller that was the cover on the album. Oh, I love that. I love um, that. So um, that's part of it. I mean, that was an, an LP. I mean, I know all of the words. I think that was one of the first albums where I had words on it. So you, yeah. So you actually got the the, the, the record and you got yeah. the words. And you could sit there and... So, but, so this is my shock, you know, you've, you're from the Mayville estate. It sounds as I'm on sort of a records antique roadshow because of your <laughs> knowledge... Yeah, it's it's it, it was a love and a passion of mine, um, just like football. And I suppose in many ways I've ended up at this sort of almost perfect place with my career where it's effectively music and football. Um, so yeah, I, I I feel lucky. I've worked hard for it, but I still feel lucky. I'm I'm very much aware that people work hard and don't always get their just rewards. But I feel that I'm, you know, I've been lucky enough to be able to have a career that is largely based around music and football. Well, I mean, it's on your career. Um, I used to get the Red Bus Rover as a kid. <laughs> I remember it well. Great day out. Yeah. I think about, about 20 pence or yeah. something like that. And I always remember the one place that we always wanted to go to because it was iconic. It's, I mean, we always felt that the Gladiators performed in there. But um, the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. I think when you go to the Royal Albert Hall, just to go and see something, it's really, really special. You didn't just do that, did you? No, I mean, it was, we, we started this project called Garage Classical in 2017. We did a show up in um, in Liverpool for Liverpool City Council and they wanted to, um, you know, recognise UK Garage and the standing that it had in the musical fabric of, of, of the country. And we did it in Liverpool and I was like, oh, we need to really do this in London. This needs to come back to the home and then go from there. So immediately started discussions and, and, and planning with, with my team and we did the Barbican and, you know, it sold out. And from the moment we did the Barbican, um, a venue that I'd been to as a kid because I played the trombone at school and I'd seen, you know, some brilliant musicians play there, like world world-class musicians so it that was inspiring but uh, from that moment it for me it was always going to be right how do I develop Garage Classical so we could perform at the Royal Albert Hall and um, you know 2019 my 
you know, dream came true. And yeah, we took, you know, some of the legends of UK Garage and Katie Chatburn and the Ignition Orchestra and we, we did it. I, I went, I was there and it's, but it was your show. Yeah. You, it, you wasn't introduced in, you wasn't, it was your show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's my idea. I've, I've sort of pulled in everybody. I, I kind of sit in that little bit of a sweet spot where you've got the connections there and there, and then you can make it happen. And I, I had wondered before why no one had done it. Um, and then I go, oh, actually it's because I know that person. I know that person, know that person, yeah. they know that person. And sometimes, you know, as the saying goes, Steve, it's, uh, it's not what, but who. Well, I'm sure that's an appreciation of, of all the things that I said at the beginning. Um, and I was there and and I'm booked to go again in May. Yes. And I understand it's sold out again. Yeah, it's sold out. It's sold out in 10 days, um, which is, again, it's, I'm getting goosebumps because it's always, it's always very humbling. You know, you hear people talk about I'm having a party and you put your invites out and you go, what if no one comes to my that's party? Some, that's some kind of party. Right. Yeah, but it's the same kind of thing that happens. You put the tickets out and you just hope that some people buy them. All right, let's not worry about it selling out. But yeah, it's um again it is very it is very humbling. I think I use that word a lot because I'm very aware of my beginnings and I'm just grateful for everything. Well when I went back in nineteen, um when I got there, I just remembered the Red Bus Rover bit. I thought of the I thought of the Mayville estate and I walked in and I thought, I know him and and I can't wait again. Yeah, I and can't it just wait. goes to show, you know, just amazing achievements on that career. That and he's so varied. Yeah, it is. And again, it's when I, I, you walk around the Royal Albert Hall, and there's loads of pictures of the kind of events and the kind of performances and the people that have been there. And you know, Domingo and uh, uh, Nigel Ben, or I think it was Nigel Ben, but big boxing matches and big tennis matches, like. The variety that happens in there, Absolutely. and then I think, wow, look at us now. Do you know the little boy from, little boy from Hackney's, taking his band of merry men and women to the Royal Albert Hall? Fantastic! And thank you for your love and support. Well, always. no, no, listen, it's um, always it's, it's a pleasure for me to be there, and 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 I'll have a great time. I mean, I'll cut a few shapes. Don't worry about that. Absolutely, son. Whilst we're on good things, uh, I don't want you to get too happy and too smiley, and I want to get some of my negative out of the way. Highbury Grove School where my mates went to a few years before you went there. It's, it's a name there, Highbury. Mm -hmm. Why Liverpool? I don't know, man. Lots of black boys from Hackney in the 1970s supported Liverpool. <laughs> you know, I, I, I look back, I don't know. I mean, I was seven years old. I didn't grow up with my dad. Funny enough, my dad's a Tottenham fan. So if I'd grown up with my dad, I most probably would support um, yeah, Tottenham. Yeah, I'd probably take Liverpool over Tottenham. There you anyway, go. So we're on a good place there. There you go. And um, and that was it. You know, 1977, Kenny Dalglish signed for Liverpool. And I don't know, that was it. No rhyme or reason other than I liked the colour red. He looked like a brilliant player. I started supporting Liverpool and uh, here we are. You've had some glory times and, and clocked back. Oh, man. Have you met him? I've not met him yet. And I've had, there have been a couple of scenarios where I could have met him, but I want to... I want to wait until I know that I can enjoy his his company properly in a way that I would like to. Because I've you know, been in and around football um, in a professional capacity and it's not always the right time to meet people, just meeting them. Yeah. So I, I, I would rather wait and just admire and appreciate him from afar. 
And, and talking about meeting people, I mean, somebody that um, being an Arsenal fan, where Arsenal and Man United were going toe-to-toe, Sir Alex Ferguson, um, you being a big Liverpool fan, interviewing him, I think he was, was he coming to the latter stages of his Man U career? I think Still there, wasn't I think he? He'd, I think he'd retired at that point. Um, I mean, what was interesting about that is when I interviewed him, I was the first person connected to the BBC that he'd spoken to for eight years. Because he fell out with them. Because he, he fell out with the BBC. Um, and, you know, that was an absolute joy to, you know, go up to his house in Cheshire and sit in his inner sanctum. Um, you know, his, his late great wife, sadly she recently passed away, um, was in there looking after the grandchildren. And it was just a beautiful, again, I sat there pinching myself that, wow, this actually is Sir Alex Ferguson's house. Not, pitch side after a game yeah. not in a conference suite um, not in a TV studio I was in his house sat on his sofa um, I did take the liberty of wearing my official Liverpool tie throughout the interview did which really? I didn't tell him until after. until the end which he found <laughs> he, he liked that because he, he's you know he's, he's, he's a boy that came up very much from the streets you know he's he's worked for every single thing he has so he gets it. He he understood it. He, he said, well played. I like that. What about Mr. Beckham? Yeah, I mean, Bex, um, I call him Bex. Uh, yeah, just, you know, a legend, an icon. Um, the strangest thing when I... So we had... Um, Victoria had made a record with um, Dane Bowers and another friend of mine called Johnny. And we played it heavily and supported it on Radio 1. So... I was uh, I was away with a dear friend of ours called Winnie. Um, I was doing a gig in Spain and we used to take our golf clubs everywhere. And uh, being a naughty boy, my phone rang on the golf course and uh, it was, hi, Spoonie. I was like, yeah, yes, it's it's Vicky. And like my heart sank because I'm thinking, who is this? Like, I don't remember, like, what have I done here? <laughs> what have I done? Number was withheld. I was thinking, oh, no. And she said, oh, it's Victoria, Beckham. And I was like, Whew. So I was like, how you think as things, da, da, da. And she said, look, David's having um, his uh, 30th birthday's coming up and, you know, we'd like you, I'd like you to come and play. So I, um, yeah, DJ that is his 30th flew out to Spain um, um, in a venue and then you turn around and, you know, Zinedine Zidane comes in and Roberto Carlos comes in and, oh, and I'm DJing to these guys as a football lover and it was, you know, Carlos coming into the DJ booth. But yeah, he was, you know, I played at his 30th and his 31st birthday party. He's, you know, he's always been, you know, he's always been very, very, very cool. Like just, yeah, I, I, I have not a bad word to say about him or Victoria. They've both been fantastic to me, to be honest. He's done, and I mean, he's done amazingly well, hasn't he? I mean, he got that bad press from the football from the Argentinian which was just game. so out of order just so I think and I hope that anyone that looks back at that I know we can't turn the clocks back but just look at it and go I was bad to him just acknowledge that he just did not deserve that and you know there's some other stuff that came out after it with regards what I felt he was like thrown under the bus to a degree by by whether it be by the press or the manager or misconstruing or taking things out of context, I do feel we could have been protected a little bit more because yeah. it wasn't as though it was a crazy two-footed challenge. At worst, it was a little bit of petulance that should never have been 
a red card. Yeah. We love our football. It's not a red card I in any way. Well, I don't language. know if you've seen these these Netflix. I have, and you see Simeone sit there and say, "Should never have been sent off." It should but, never have been sent off. We it, know that. We do, we all know that. You you always seem just super cool. I get the impression, maybe wrongly, that you probably don't have a bad day. I've seen you hit the odd bad golf shot. Um, but how do you cope with mental sides of life? Um, I think that I, I try and find sanctuaries. I try and find little spaces, whether it be in my head, in my memories, it might be a physical place in the house that I sort of take myself to. I'm also really mindful of protecting my my energy and those around me. And if if I feel that I might be triggered by something, I will keep my way, myself away from it rather than having to deal with the aftermath of of being triggered. Um, growing up with my mum and my younger brothers, I had a lot of responsibility from early on. And I now realise that a lot of a lot of what I was dealing with was problem solving, conflict resolution. And then you can sometimes adapt those skills to yourself. So you're having conversations with your inner monologue that you might have with a third party that just just keeps you on the right side of wanting to scream at someone or go, and listen, I could get angry like like the next person, but I know that I'm not my best person when I get like that. So I would just do my utmost to, it might be going for a walk, it might be going for a bike ride, it might be um, the food that I eat, it might be listening to music. Most of the time it's music. Um, You're just going to lock yourself away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, under, you know, I understand that it's, I think in some ways the world has got more complicated and it's very easy for people to not take time out for themselves and it always it almost sounds like a bit of a bit of a cliche now steve but i think people just need to be a little bit more aware to go i'm distracted i'm distracted i'm distracted and what about and what about me and you just need a moment do you think sometimes it gets um used in a bad way in terms of it's a cop out for people i do i, I think there's like the connotations of when people say mental health and maybe this is a generational thing that as soon as I hear someone saying mental health, I think they're talking about it in in a bad way. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's as, maybe as much to do with my own personal programming. But, um, you know, growing up and having stepchildren and young people around me that I always speak to them about the importance of the language you use, the words you use and, and how those words and that language programs your mind and how that then will affect how you behave and see the world and you know we used to call it positive mental attitude that somewhere somehow kind of got lost along the way but without sort of being I suppose too sort of cheesy about it if you can look at stuff and try and take something out of every situation your life and your world's going to just be that much better and that's something that I think I've I've always done. I've always tried to go, right, this wasn't great, but 
what was good about it. Find the one thing that was good about that bad experience. There will, will always be one. Yeah. What was it? Now, if you have a big car crash and you come out of it and you're able to look at your car that's mangled, the positive is that you came out of it. So for me, I wouldn't be worrying about the car. Was it insured? Yes, it was insured. Yeah. Right, I'm walking. I'll learn. In, in terms of when you say about um, youngsters and the words you use, have we got, the world we're in now, have, have, have people got scared to express themselves? You, you say choose words carefully. I think, I don't know, my take, I don't know if it's yours, that we've got a little bit nervous to talk. Because we don't want to offend. Because the majority of us are non-offenders. We shouldn't. We sh I, I, I think that we should always find the best way to say what it is that we have to say because that then means we're being considerate. It means we're being respectful. I would never say to someone, don't say, don't articulate, don't express how you feel. Just try and find the best way to do it because you wouldn't want to, un you wouldn't want to offend somebody if that wasn't your intention. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be times when I will tell people exactly what I think and I want them to be offended. Yeah. I don't care if they're offended or not, but the worst thing that could happen is if you offend someone because you just was a little bit lazy and then you take offense that they're offended rather than going, actually, I, I didn't mean to offend you. And if we can chalk this one up for, you know, slip of the tongue, ignorance, whatever it is, but I'm genuinely, I genuinely did not want to offend you. And maybe in the world now that we are, you know, we're a little bit more aware. There's people that now have a voice that never really had a voice yeah. that are now speaking up that, you know, I can say this as a black man that, you know, growing up in the times that I did, there were times when we couldn't say certain things because it would be, ah, oh, you got a chip on your shoulder. But now we actually know, well, that was a little bit, you know, that was a little bit unfair. I sat and watched um, a film the other night with, with, with my girlfriend, um, starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. And basically Jamie Foxx was inc incarcerated, his character was incarcerated. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, In Something Justice. Something Justice. Yeah. Um, incarcerated, basically fitted up, appealed, went back to court, and the judge sort of threw it out. And we're sat there, and I said to her, you know, look, this is, this wasn't that, that long ago. This is our lifetime. And I, it, I thought the film was set in the 60s. It was set in the 80s. You know, and he served seven years on death row for something that he, did, that he didn't do because he was black. So when I hear black people speaking up about stuff, not that I think all of it is uh, fair or right, but actually now black people will have a voice in the same way that with women to a degree because... You know, they have been put upon, treated unfairly, doing the same job, getting less wages, overlooked for promotions, you know, wouldn't wouldn't get taken onto a job because they're 25 and the boss thinks that they might go and have a baby. A man wouldn't do that. It's not right. N and now we know better. My thing is, now we know better, let's do better. And I think that's perfectly put. And I think, and, and my view is, is that the pendulum de needed to move for sure on, on on everything you've just touched on there i mean now just just to go on to that again and i always you know speaking 
or quite often speaking metaphors and analogies because <laughs> my friends always say that. But if you look at, um, you, you, we're always trying to find balance, right? And and balance between our friendship groups, our personal relationships. We're always just trying to be balanced, be fair, right? And if you imagine a set of scales, when you're trying to find balance, there has been imbalance. And whether we're talking about sexism or racism, that when you're trying to find balance, there will always then be an overcorrection, right? You put sank on the scale. Yeah, it yeah, never yeah. goes straight there. Yeah. It goes that way for a little bit. And then you go, right, we've overgone. And now we need to... And that is just what happens in life. And I think we all need to be understanding and appreciative of the fact that we're trying to find the right way so we can live in harmony. We can live just being a little bit fairer. And I just think you couldn't put it any better than that. Um, interesting in our conversation, the one thing that we haven't mentioned, and it's, and it's where we met, even though I've probably climbed the same brick walls you've climbed and fallen off of the swings and uh, back on the estate. But um, you haven't mentioned your golf. Yeah. I was trying to rack my mind where we met. I think we met back in 2007 on a charity golf day. At the Grove. Yep. Um, so we had some things in common, football, the estate, playing golf. First question is, how's your golf? Um, my golf isn't great, but it's getting better. I feel like I've gone... Um, if this was stocks and shares, I feel like I've lost value compared to year on year but I'm gaining month on month. <laughs> I've only ever seen you in your time. I think I think I might have played with, with, with I first met you at Grove. I think that the I think the first time you broke 80 it was with me at the Grove. Yeah, that was my when we played that was my lowest round at the time. I shot 75. I shot yeah. three over. That was my lowest round. So I, I always had you as a good luck charm. <laughs> um because I'd never gone anywhere close to that prior to or post for a good while. Um but yeah, it's funny actually, just being on the golf course and talking of sort of analogies that when your mind is clear of noise, how well we can perform. And I think on that day, I looked back at it and I felt like, why did I all of a sudden just shoot 70, 75? And I think it's because we were just having a great conversation. The conversation... Uh, the company was amazing and I wasn't thinking about playing golf and then I was just standing over the ball hitting it and then finding it and hitting it again and I, I guarantee you you're a better golfer than me when you think back to the best rounds of golf that you've played I say what were you thinking about you'd yeah. go mm, I, I don't know and I suppose it was where maybe you get sportsmen say I got into the zone and when you look at life you look at you know in business I look at my you know some of my best DJ sets best performances what was I thinking about it's like I was just I was like in a zone almost twilightish that I couldn't say anything that I was thinking just about the performance and if we can you know if we can get into that zone in life in general as performers whatever it is that you do whether you're a nurse a doctor you work in refuge collection you work in property whatever it is that you do when you can get into that sweet spot where you're blanking out the noise then what you can achieve is frightening. So is that why, because I've, I've, I don't think I've ever asked you, is that why Sir Nick Fowler asked you to be part of the Ryder Cup team? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe, um, yeah, yeah, top man. I mean, I, I, I met him, he was, you know, he had these Faldo series yeah. supporting uh, junior golf in the country and I went down and um, 
went down and gave him some support for the event. And one of the questions I asked him was like, you know, Nick, why don't you be the first ever Ryder Cup captain to have an official DJ? And he went, I like that idea. So yeah, that was it. Was in the States? Yeah, we went to Valhalla. Um, again, he took so much stick, so so much unfair stick um, for that result. Um, even for picking Ian Poulter. You know, you picked... Polter was a wild card yeah, um, on that and he took a lot of stick because he didn't pick a couple of other players and Ian Polter ended up being the MVP, the MVP for the event. He got more points than any other individual on both sides. I think he was equaled but not beaten. Yeah, I think, um, right. I think him and Rosie did quite well, didn't he, they? He, he was equaled, not beaten. But, you know, the result didn't go uh, the way that we would have liked at Europe. Nick Fowler, he's, he's, he's a legend whether or not he lost that Ryder Cup or not, still won more majors than any other player from these shores. You know, put a little bit of respect on his name. Was Tiger in that team at uh, Film Estates? Tiger was, was it 09? I think it was. I yeah. don't think he was injured. And have yeah. you met Tiger? I have, yeah. And? Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really cool. I met him. He was over doing a, an event for EA Sports. Um, but I know a couple of people that know him very, very well. Um, and I will... You know, it's on my bucket list to play around the golf with him. him. Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky with some of the names that I've, you know, played with so far. Obviously, Pulse is a very, very good friend of mine. But, you know, I've played golf with Westy and Clarky and played nine holes just myself with Rory McIlroy. Um, so I've been really lucky and blessed in that way. Played in the Dunhill Links numerous times and played with Dustin Johnson, with Teeth Goosen and... You know, it's a lovely list of players. It's isn't a it? few names there. Um, so yeah, I've had uh, from the golfing side, I, I, I've been very blessed. But I would love to put Tiger on that list. Well, it then moves me on. I mean, talking about interesting stuff. I mean, I, one of the things I go back to that game of golf we had at the Grove, the second one. Um, you have uh, a real interest in property, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I do, and I mean, maybe growing up in a growing up in a flat. Um, you know, my mum, we didn't own our own home. We had a council flat. Um, I I bought my first flat in 1997. Um, I just started DJing. I didn't know how DJing was going to go. Um, I'd worked out of school. I worked for the employment service for seven years, then I had another job working for a company that sold Apple Mac computers. They repaired Apple Mac computers. And then I went full-time professional and I said to myself in 1997, I I don't know how this is going to go, but if it only lasts a year and I have to go back to work in nine to five, as long as I've bought a property and I have my own flat, my own place, then it won't have been a waste of time. And then, you know, luckily, a bit of hard work, a bit of luck, I've not gone back to full-time employment, but I have done so many different property deals and yeah, I love it. I, it's one of those things that if I didn't do what I did full time, I would 100%. Why do you think there's a fascination with the British public about property? Because it's not a European thing. Yeah. Why Why do we, it doesn't matter who you talk to. You don't have to be a, a, a property developer or own lots of property. Everyone is just, it seems to me, everyone, oh, you're in property. The interest just changes. Their eyes light up. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, my home, home is my castle. It yeah. is maybe a part of it. I think the the kind of reality TV shows, Homes Under the Hanama, 
um, place in the sun, grand designs. You know, we sit there and it's aspirational a lot of the time. And then you find yourself in a position where someone talks to you about finance and getting a mortgage and the rent and what you can earn. And you go, actually, oh, I quite like this. And, you know, just the joy of going into somewhere and it starts like this and it ends up like this. And sometimes that might just be a lick of paint and a new kitchen. Yeah. Another time it might be knocking out walls. Another time it might be digging foundations. Um, and they're just varying degrees. But yeah, I've, I've had, um, you know, I've had some, some brilliant stuff. I've, you know, set up a small property company, did some work for some people. Um, we're just coming to the end of doing a massive development between, I say development is it more of a, extended refurbishment uh between Laura and I we we bought a um a bed and breakfast and and turned really? it into a single dwelling did you not know no, right no. yeah so in in Bedford right oh, in Bedford right, okay. town center so yeah it was um it was 16 bedroom and I'd say that not because it was like 16 double bedrooms some of the bedrooms were like horrendously sized and no windows and stuff and to their to their defense the previous owners they were just trying to maximise the amount of rooms yep. in there. So, you know, windows had been boarded up and went in. We took a took a demolition company and stripped out all the old bathrooms and the central heating and what was there. And we found, I mean, we found eight fireplaces. We found about four windows that we didn't know were there. We found a well, which is in our front room really and we found a staircase and i leave the staircase till last because you did have a viewing when you bought this place i'm assuming yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely but it was just boarded up and you just i don't even know if the previous owners knew that the staircase was there they definitely didn't know that the well was there so you know that was it was amazing it was like a treasure trove i'm surprised we didn't find any arms or legs um in bet, there yeah. as well yeah. yeah but um no it was uh but we're just coming to the end of it. It's, and when it's, when will you be open? Because <laughs> I'm I'm going to come up. Oh, well, I want you to come up. I mean, we 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 moved in in August uh, twenty twenty two. So we've been in, you know, give or take a year and a half. But we spent a year and a half doing it before we moved in, and it still wasn't hundred percent finished. But it was a massive undertaking, um, and luckily, you know, we've been able to have it virtually how we like and. You know, I've got a room just for my records and Laura's got a beautiful yeah, I've, I've seen on in, and your record collection and inst when I've seen you doing your Insta post is just, and it looks so cool. I think you've got one of these kind of sofas. Yeah, I have. Yeah, um, absolutely. It looks it looks really cool. Thank you. Um, the other thing I just want to say, because I just want to wrap this up, I appreciate you are a super busy guy. I'm seriously honoured that you've taken time out to come here, have a chat. Um, I'm honoured that you asked. Well... You always leave me feeling happier than when I met you, and and I and I and it just uh, and and I just want to touch on one more thing before we wrap up. But um, I, you know, I was so proud in the honours list when you got your British Empire medal. Thank you. Um, just another acknowledgement of the fantastic work you do. We've. I also know you do so much for charity. Yeah, I just, I, I think, Steve, I just try and help. Um, again, I'm really aware that 
sometimes people just don't have the right start that their intentions are great but they just don't have the opportunity and for me it's just about trying to create and I can't do it all but if you can make a difference to one person's life or two who in turn does the same thing directly or indirectly you start helping five ten hundred whatever and you know at the risk of sounding too profound about it it's just if we can do little bits um i got last year got arts to go and join the the board of watches of switzerland have a charitable foundation right. so i sit on that um and brian duffy who's you know that is is the head honcho at watches of switzerland he as part of his deal wanted them to make sure that they did more for communities in the country and again a true real working class background man um who has just gone up the ladder to you know run a truly international organization but it's there to him to make sure that people less fortunate than him um who also might have been brilliant get the chances and the opportunities so you know sitting around brilliant minds um like that just make you check yourself and if i can do if i can do a bit i will and you know i got asked the question the other day at work you know what's the what's the meaning of life and i don't know what the meaning of life is but what i do know is whilst we're here i think it should be everyone's mission to try and leave the world a little bit better than they found it and if we could all at least work to that then i think we're doing well well i don't know how your golf handicaps coming along but um, I can definitely say that uh, your company for me today uh, is making me feel better. Thank and you. it's been an absolute pleasure to see you. And likewise, Steve. Always, always lovely to Good see you. Good luck with everything. You're uh, one of my favourite people in the world. Well, it's very nice of you. Don't make me cry. <laughs> Time to wrap up. Um, Jonathan Joseph, a.k.a. DJ Spoonie, one of the finest men in the world, I hope you've enjoyed the listen and the view. Look forward to seeing you soon.